0: Let's go to our scripture reading for this morning. We're looking at Luke chapter uh, 22, verse 7 to 8, and then 14 to 23. Luke chapter 22, verse 7 to 8, and then uh, 14 to 23. Let's give our attentive listening to the reading of God's holy and inerrant word. Then came the day of unleavened bread, on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John, saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us, that we may eat it. And when the hour came, he reclined at the table, and the apostles with him, and he said to them, I have earnestly desired to eat this Passover with you before I suffer. For I tell you, I will not eat it until it is fulfilled in the kingdom of God. And he took a cup, and when he had given thanks, he said... Take this and divide it among yourselves. For I tell you that from now on I will not drink of the fruit of the vine until the kingdom of God comes. And he took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave it to them, saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. And likewise the cup after they had eaten, saying, This cup that is poured out for you is the new covenant in my blood. But behold, the hand of him who betrays me is with me on the table. For the Son of Man goes as it has been determined, but woe to that man by whom he is betrayed. And they began to question one another, which of them it could be, who was going to do this. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to Christ. Let's pray. Our Heavenly Father, we thank you for the the gift and uh, privilege of hearing from your word that is uh, living and active um, and we want to commune with you. We want to have um, this fellowship with you uh, by hearing from you. So God, uh, open our spiritual eyes and ears and um, help us to uh, benefit uh, from this time. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. So we are taking a break from our series in uh, Revelation and uh, looking at the, the last hours of uh, Jesus' life as a way of preparing ourselves for Easter Sunday. And since this is the first Sunday of the month and first Sundays we have communion, I picked this passage uh, for us to uh, reflect upon. And it's it's interesting if you think about it, how um, a dinner uh, with the disciples would, would take such a prominent spotlight in the gospel narrative. I mean, why not record another parable Uh, a final sermon from Jesus, Uh, why record this meal, this mealtime in the Gospels? Uh, In fact, why does Jesus, as he approaches his final hour, uh, seem to speak less and less, not more? Well, it, it appears that in all of this, Jesus is letting his works, his actions speak more prominently than uh, his words as if to say, look at what I'm doing. See uh, what's being done, and not just hear. See it. Maybe even taste it. And go beyond hearing. And his instituting of the of the Last Supper uh, really does that. So I want to look at the Lord's Supper with you uh, and try to keep that in mind. What, what is Jesus intending for us to see? Because that's why this is here. So... Three things I want to point your attention to. Uh, First is the uh, origin of the Lord's Supper, the origin of this meal. Uh, Second, its necessity, uh, the necessity of this meal. And third, uh, its implications, the implications of this meal. Okay, so the origin, the necessity, and the implications. All right, so first, uh, the origin of the meal. Take a look at verses 7 and 8 again. Then came the day of unleavened bread on which the Passover lamb had to be sacrificed. So Jesus sent Peter and John saying, Go and prepare the Passover for us that we may eat it. Luke is very intentional here in letting us know that uh, the context of the Lord's Supper is another meal. The context of this meal is another meal, and that is the Passover meal. And and what was the Passover meal? It was a meal that the Israelites had annually observed ever since the the eve of Exodus, the, the night before they... They uh, escaped from Egypt, and God had every Israelite household uh, kill a Passover lamb, according to his instructions, and put its blood on their doorposts. And the, the blood of the lamb then would be this payment for their sins, and so judgment would not fall on them, but it would pass over them, and instead God would count that judgment uh, towards the slaughtered lamb. And, and people would then partake of that lamb, and along with unleavened bread in their homes with their household. And interestingly, they found uh, ancient documents that show you how, as the the, the Jews observed the Passover meal, they would have this liturgy, this order of service, if you will, as as they observed it. It would be led by the head of the household, who's at the table, and inviting all the family members to join in. And he would say something like, this is the bread of affliction which our fathers ate in the land of Egypt. Let everyone who hungers come and eat, and let everyone who is needy come and eat the Passover meal. So the head of the household would in, in essentially uh, lead this meal in a, in a very worshipful kind of way. And uh, what's also interesting is when you look at our passage today and look at how Jesus is um, uh, serving this meal to his disciples, there's a very similar kind of liturgy taking place here. Uh, Jesus is also leading the disciples worshipfully through uh, the meal with prayer, with thanksgiving, explanations as to what uh, this meal means. And and there's also the charge to do it repeatedly in remembrance of, of something, just like the Passover meal uh, in the Old Testament. So all that to say, uh, plenty of, of references and even explicit like reference to uh, pa- the Passover meal to, to give us a context of where this comes from. Now, having said that, there is, however, one major, major difference between the Passover meal and this last supper, this final Passover meal that Jesus is serving to his disciples. There is the bread, there is the liturgy, but there is no lamb. And and that's a very intentional omission on the part of the gospel writers because the the physical killing of the Passover lamb uh, was the most essential thing about the Passover meal. And it's not found in any of the gospels Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John. And that's an intentional omission. When you have the most essential thing, it's like not having a turkey for Thanksgiving, it's not like having a tree, not having a tree for Christmas. This is a glaring omission on the part of the gospel writers. Why? How can you rightly uh, observe the Passover meal when there is no Passover lamb? You can't. Unless the Passover lamb is not uh, on the table, uh, but is sitting at the table with you. And, and that's exactly what was going on. It, it's why uh, Jesus says in verse 19, as he, as he takes the bread, he says, this is my body which is given for you. And verse 20, he takes the cup and says, this is the new covenant in my blood poured out for you. And when he says it's a new covenant, he means it's, it's the new and improved covenant, a promise from God that does something that the old covenant couldn't do, but it was only kind of foreshadowing uh, for us, and that is to deliver all of God's people from their bondage to a a. Uh, an even greater slave master than Pharaoh, and that is our sin. Uh, The chains more enslaving than Pharaoh's are the chains of our sins. And it doesn't just enslave the Jews, does it? It enslaves both Jews and Gentiles. And in order for those chains uh, to be broken, you need a better and greater Passover lamb. And Christ is saying, I am that lamb, because I am the bread now, and I am the, the blood of the new covenant. Through his blood, through his death, he intends to deliver his people from their eternal bondage uh, to sin and, and bring them into the eternal promised land. So it turns out this is not just an allusion to the Passover meal in the Old Testament. This is the fulfillment of it. This is the, this is the climax of it. This is the better exodus than, than the narrative we find in the Old Testament. This blows it up to a global and, and, and cosmic uh, scale. Christ is the truer and better Passover lamb for both Jews and Gentiles. And so John the Baptist, right, upon seeing Jesus, he calls him the lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And the Apostle Paul clearly refers to Jesus in 1 Corinthians 5, 7 as Christ our Passover lamb. And that's what the new covenant is about. The the truer and better Passover lamb is here in the flesh. He will be broken for us. He will be poured out for us. No more shedding of blood is needed. We have all that we need uh, in Him. in His sacrifice, His death, and His blood applied to the doorposts, if you will, of our hearts. Okay, now let's go to the second point, the necessity of the meal, because I think this is where some could reasonably you know, raise the question, wh- why is all this necessary? Uh, why all this dying and, and killing and bleeding in order to uh, forgive sins? Why can't God just, just let it go? Why, uh, why can't he just forgive and forget? Why is he so hung up on this and, and so adamant about saving people by suffering and dying? And what I want to do is uh, give you the short answer first and then expound on it. The short answer is because it's all true. Our sins and his forgiveness, they're all true. Uh, If you've been truly wronged, uh, truly offended, truly violated, what would it mean to you if someone were to come to you and say, just just let it go. Just forgive and forget. and and Don't get so hung up on this. Uh, Be generous, Just, just let it go. You know what that would mean? Uh, that would mean this person who is saying this to you doesn't really think you are truly wronged, <laughs> and, and you're making a bigger deal out of it than you than you need to. In other words, they can only say that like like the sin done against you can be casually just let go of. Only say that if they're minimizing the wrong that's done against you, not acknowledging its its truest. Uh, wait. And unfortunately, that's um, too often the case when it comes to your personal experiences, my personal experience. And I'm sorry to say, even even within the church, in the broader church, sufferers have too often been told just that. To, to minimize their suffering and, and, and go into silence even for the sake of preserving the church's reputation. That's happened much too often. That's not how things should be. Uh, the, the church should be the the, the first place sufferers think of uh, running to, the safest place, the, the place where they can be heard and they can be cared for and protected, be advocated for, not minimized and silenced. And what if people were to really begin acknowledging the, the truthfulness of the sufferer's account and, and give them the full weight that it demands just understanding how truly they've been wrong truly they've been wounded truly they've been betrayed i think i think they would know then that even if you were to tell someone you should forgive that that forgiveness won't be easy but but come at a very great cost i think they would know that even if people were to say you should let it go they would say it in a very careful, reluctant way, knowing that even as we let go of some things, we, we're bound to hold on to a lot of scars. So forgiving true wrongs always comes with a true true cost. The, the full weight of the, the agony, even the pain of uh, forgiving someone and because it's not a one-time event either it's a perpetual one it's often a daily choice the sufferer chooses to make a choice to pay that debt that remains unpaid in other words you, you can't you really can't truly forgive true wrongs without true suffering uh, tr- true forgiveness in light of a true wrong done against you would demand of you true suffering because true forgiveness does not say, "Oh, just forget about it. I'm fine. I won't, I won't demand any payment from you," because that's minimizing the, the suffering and the and the sin. It understands it, acknowledges its full weight, and yet still says, "I will make the payment myself," and that's suffering. So, so no, you can't just say, "Let it go" or forgive and forget, like it's a magical spell you you, you cast and, and you're done. And God does not say that. Nowhere in Scripture does God simply say, forgive and forget or just let it go and don't get so hung up on this. Don't let anybody tell you God says that. Uh, Tim Keller put it like this. I find this very helpful. He said, the currency of forgiveness is not words. You can't use words to, to pay the price of forgiveness. Well, then what is it? It's you being broken and poured out. The currency of forgiveness is your suffering. Or in God's terms, it's it's three nails and a crown of thorns. That's the currency of forgiveness. Was the cross where Jesus bled and died absolutely necessary for the forgiveness of sins? Yes. Why? Because it's all true to him. He minimizes none of it, none of the sins you've committed against others or the sins that others have committed against you. It's all true. He understands them to the fullest extent. So in order to forgive, he pays the true price, the true price of wiping away all of our sins. He he breaks himself and pours himself out. So Isaiah 118 says, Come, let us reason together, right? Says the Lord. Be rational with me for a moment. Your sins are red like crimson, meaning it it really is. Your sins really are truly, truly of a grave, grave magnitude. But as real as your sins are, so will be my forgiveness. Your sins shall be as white as wool. Let's reason together. Let's be true. Let's be honest. So the, the, the self-giving of the, the Son of God, his, his laying down his own life voluntarily for his people is absolutely necessary for true forgiveness. Because it's forgiving true sins that have true weight. So, so Jesus is here at the Last Supper showing his disciples and showing us he really is willing to pay the true price. Of forgiveness. He he's minimizing nothing because it's all true to him. And that's what we have to see in the Lord's Supper. Christ saying, I'm willing to be broken and poured out for true sinners to truly forgive them. Now, let's close with this. What are the implications of them participating in such a meal and in, in this truly costly uh meal that God serves us? There, there are a couple implications I want you to think about. Uh, First is this, to partake of this meal then must mean to be strengthened through this meal to serve this kind of meal uh, to our neighbors, uh, to our spouse, to our children, to our parents, to our siblings, our friends, uh, people that naturally we will find eventually (laughs) very, very difficult to love. To partake of this meal is to say that you embrace the call to love them by suffering for them as you've been loved by Christ suffering for you. It, it means, uh, as you partake of this, your number one agenda is not to make your neighbors see how right you are and how wrong you are, but your number one agenda is to make them see how Christ-like you are because you've been strengthened by Him. Your agenda is now to, to be like Christ, to, to sound like Him, to, to seem like him to even smell like him it, uh, whenever right we go to k- Korean barbecue places it, it fascinates me just how lasting that smell is even after exiting the restaurant you go home your clothes everything starts smelling like Korean barbecue after a long night of um, uh, gorging uh, because because you've been so immersed in it and there's a sense in which whenever we come to the Lord's table and partake of Christ, you should walk out smelling like him. And, and when people interact with you, they should get a good whiff of, wow, that smells like Jesus. That's the, that's the first implication of partaking in this, in this meal. When you come to this table and feed upon his mercy and grace, you must be strengthened then to do nothing less than propagating, spreading that same mercy and grace. To the point where people would be like, you know, I smell this on you. Where are you getting this? And be drawn to it. It's also the same reason why we should study the Bible. It's the same reason why we should do discipleship, to dig deeper into the Word of God, to propagate it, to, to spread it, to minister to others through it. Because it's not ultimately for us. It's, it's ultimately for those around us whom God wants us to minister to because that's, that's Christ-likeness, isn't it? To serve and not to be served. So to partake of this meal is to receive from god this this flavor that you need to be familiar with uh, to serve others as christ has served you and to to gain the spiritual nutrition you need to to labor for the cause of loving your neighbors through your cross through true payment uh, of that cost now if that sounds like a bad deal I don't want to suffer. Let me remind you of something. If you, if you choose not to forgive, and if you choose not to love your neighbor in this costly manner, it's not like you won't suffer. You will still suffer just differently. Uh, you will suffer from bitterness. You will suffer from resentment. You suffer from vengeful anger. And you'll spiral down to, to your all kinds of character defects. That's suffering. To, to be overcome with evil when you confront evil, that's suffering. Instead, we're to overcome evil with, with good. Either way, you'll suffer. Either suffer for the sake of forgiveness or the sake of unforgiveness. Only one of these sufferings will make you more like Christ. The other will make you more like the devil. And the one that will make you more like Christ is the suffering of Christ, the cross. Realize that as, you, as often as you come to the table, uh, you are volunteering and embracing the suffering of Christ. Here's a here's a second implication right Notice also this Passover meal I said earlier was observed in each Israelite household, right? Well, in, in Jesus's Last Supper, they're not with their you know household per se, right uh, Mary and Joseph are not there. Jesus' brothers are not there. It's Jesus and the apostles, the 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 foundations of the New Testament church. It's a picture of us, Christ and the church. Now, the Passover meal becomes the meal shared in the household of God, in the body of Christ. And it's not like they—it's not like they've gathered together here because you know they're uh, of the same vocation or they have all the personality compatibilities. They find each other really likable. No. The disciples are here because of Christ, being their one Lord, one Savior. That's pretty much the only thing they have in common, if you look at the lives of the disciples. And we should keep that in mind. Uh, it kind of reminds me of this experience I get. Whenever I go and eat one of my favorite foods, when I, when I go get dim sum, I can't help but make observations about the, the people you know, sitting near me, uh, like what they've ordered, uh, if, they're, if they're adventurous enough to get the chicken feed, you know? uh, what sort of cultural background they come from and uh, what language they speak. Uh, whether they're here with friends or with family, and you know what i what I find fascinating is uh, more often than not, I will find the people there eating you know the food that I absolutely love. The people there are absolutely and utterly not like me at all. <laughs> uh, we are utterly incompatible, and yet. Uh, it's kind of amazing to think you know we're, we're, we find ourselves uh, regulars at this place and enjoying this place so much and, and see it so closely to one another. Why? Why are we there? And, and the only reason is because we love the food there. <laughs> we love the food there. And that's all the reason you need. That, that is all the reason you need. Guys, why are we in the same room right now? Why are you seated so closely uh, with one another? Uh, it's not because we have the same ethnicity. It's not because we're very compatible. If you don't know that by now, just give us some time. It, it amazes me the more I get to know you guys, just how different you all are. It's kind of crazy. <laughs> so, w- why? Why are we here in the same room? It's because we love the food here, it's because we love Christ. When Christ is broken and poured out for us, that grace and that mercy tastes so good to our sinful yet believing hearts. That's why we're here. If you've ever f- I'm sure you have if you felt like you're not quite clicking with people at church, that's it's entirely all right. Welcome to the club. But thanks be to God, he does not call his people to gather and click, but he calls us to gather and taste and see that he is good. That's the other implication of this meal. You're here to delight in Christ and and as an ex- as extension, the family of Christ, the body of Christ. Uh, we don't have to we don't have to uh, find ourselves liking and being compatible with everyone, but we have to love and serve one another as Christ loved and served us. And just think about this. how compatible were you with Christ when you were called to the body of Christ? We were utterly incompatible with him and yet he, he brings us into the household of God. So bring others, invite them and welcome them with the welcoming of Christ. So let's do this and really the rest of church uh, for no other reason than for the one that Jesus gives us, for the remembrance of him who loved us and gave himself for us. And, and as you do that, when you, when you put Christ first, you, you make becoming more like him your number one um, priority. Uh, I assure you, everything else will make sense what to do about the people you find so incompatible, uh, culturally, politically, even theologically incompatible with you, or people you just find downright unlikable. How to approach such people, how to serve them, how to bear with them. It will all become clear when Christ becomes first. And you do all things for the sake of his name, and becoming more worthy of bearing his name, keep in mind as as we come to the table that is that is what we gather to do. We come to get a good good whiff of Christ uh, so that we would be like Christ to one another so let's let's anticipate that, let's pray and enter into this meal Lord uh, help us now uh, as we come to the table to truly taste and see from our hearts that you alone are good and and to truly see that you have paid it all and may our hearts therefore truly delight in what you have done for us And let it strengthen us to bear the true cost of loving and serving and welcoming others the way that you have loved and served and welcomed us. We ask that you would bless us this way. Uh, In Jesus' name, amen.